everybody to Learning with Bell Vista Studios. Today, I have Ali on the show. And as you know, the intention of the Learning with Bell Vista Studios show is to learn from people that we're curious about so that we can be better and serve our clients better. Um, but today is a special show, I reckon, for you as the audience, because I've specifically picked Ali to help you because we get a lot of questions about I'm a teacher, how do I transition to instructional design? And that's what you're all about. Um, so I'm really stoked that we can help people out on this journey because my kind of tips and stuff are limited. So welcome and thank you for joining. Thank you, I'm really excited to be here. The um, first question I wanna know is, I guess I was a student in school. That is my experience of teachers. Um, and now being an instructional designer, I can make the link back to, oh, I see how they probably would have got there to teach me. But what are the comparisons between instructional design role and teaching? Um, great question. There are actually a lot of similarities. Yeah. Um, and, and there are definitely some differences. You don't have to do <laughs> lunch count and attendance and data entry of scores. There, like a lot of teachers who love teaching and education and learning and effective learning strategy they're obsessed with instructional design wow they thrive in it and they do really really well um and those that like creating learning materials and learning resources yep. and then yeah you don't have to do a lot of the things that after you know x number of years as a teacher <laughs> you're really tired of and things that lead to burnout, mm -hmm. instructional design doesn't have those things. But people that really love pedagogy, like um, methods of instruction, if anyone loves Bloom's taxonomy, they're gonna <laughs> yes. love, you know, the needs analysis part of instructional design and so many more things. Learning objectives, yeah, just so many different things about education go hand in hand with instructional design. That's cool that you've started there because already I'm like, oh yeah, I'd like that job. Um, <laughs> I guess that's one of the things that I get concerned about for teachers is that they've started this career as a teacher and got into it and studied for so long to do it. And you don't need to necessarily study for instructional design, I believe. They've studied so long and they had a, they've had some sort of desire to be a teacher in the first place. And my thing is like, check yourself, like whatever is faded from that desire now, make sure like, I don't want you to get into instructional design and it's just another career that doesn't work out for you. And like taking the time to actually go, what's important to me, what's wrong with teaching or what doesn't work for me about it anymore. Do you have any advice on kind of the questions people can ask themselves with that so it doesn't become another job like people get into teaching for really good reasons to help others to educate the future all this kind of like really nice stuff but yeah Tip? yeah excellent question <laughs> definitely um for teachers who are trying to figure out what is it i want to do next well first off first off i think when teachers start feeling a little stagnant mm -hmm or a little unsettled of like, why am I feeling this way? You know, I used to be so happy in this job or maybe they didn't for some teachers, like <laughs> from the get go, they know like this isn't the place to be. They just went holidays. <laughs> yes. Yeah, there are a lot of them as a teacher. That's nice. Um, it, it's helpful to know some of the research by mm. year five, 60% of teachers that are, well, sorry, not even by year five, but, but basically when we look at the research of why teachers are doing something different, we see yeah. the majority of them, 
And this is, this is research from Gallup poll. So it's a very legit source, okay. but most of them, um, they indicate that they are looking for growth. They're looking for advancement mm. and, you know, it's not like they're upset about this and upset about that. Instructional design is a great way to grow. Uh, after teaching some of the different opportunities I had, we're doing ed tech training and educational consulting and teaching at the university level, things I really, really loved. Yeah. And for some teachers who are like, I don't know which, like which opportunity to be doing, is instructional design a good fit? I have a quiz that they can access at mm -hmm. teachertransition.com forward slash quiz. And yep. it will help them see, they just, you know, answer a handful of questions. And if it, if it says, you know, based on what you've said, the right fit for you is instructional design, then, mm -hmm. then they can trust it. Good things to look for are, do you, sorry, if I tap my mic, um, do you like creating learning resources? Do you like thinking about instructional strategy? You know, if you have free time at work or like, do you like, yeah, that creative side of what's going to bring about effective learning? If you're answering yes to these things, that's a good indicator that you really, that, that the field would be a good fit. So, yeah, you and I both know that even, even as an instructional designer, there are a lot of different job placements mm -hmm. and sometimes the company you work for or being your own company, sometimes it's more of a fit of the company of what you like and don't like. And so I have seen some teachers that, well, one in particular that comes to mind that have gone into instructional design and, and they didn't stick with it, but it wasn't because they're not a great instructional designer. They were working all alone on a project completely by themselves, you know, and they're a very social person. And so mm -hmm. anyway, and I have resources and tools that help people that help teachers who are going into instructional design to identify which job type of an instructional designer is a good fit for their personality and their preferences. And that's really and cool. Like that too, so. We'll put the link for everyone that's watching in the description so you can explore these resources because they already sound valuable and we haven't, we're just like at the surface level of them. In terms of let's explore those placements, like what can people, because I think it can be very hard to look at a job website and just see the title instructional designer or could be learning designer or learning experience designer. So there's a few different role titles, but then to know what's beyond that, you, you kind of don't know until you land a job, I guess. So what kind of placements can people expect or be niching, I guess, as well as another way that I like to look at it you'll have personal interests so you might be drawn to like the non-profit sector or working in healthcare and things like that so tell me about that definitely i break it into a handful of categories mm -hmm. and you know we've got information about these categories and, and interviews with people that work in these different categories but um if someone wants to work at the university level mm -hmm. or um, if someone wants to work for an educational organization, a school district or a school, school organization, um, and that might be a lot with an LMS, a learning management system or, or different tools and things like that. There's also working corporate. Sometimes teachers hear the word corporate and they get a little intimidated. Let's just say company. It's pretty much just the same thing, you know? And so inside of companies, for teachers, it's helpful to break it into two categories. One is going to be non-educational companies, 
and the other is going to be educational companies. Mm -hmm. All of it deals with learning, with training, with um, developing skill, you know, learning and development is what it's frequently called. And so, um, yeah, development is just another word for learning, progressing. Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah. And then people can work independently. They can do freelance. They can work or they could work at an agency. And that's a little bit of drinking from a fire hydrant, but you get fantastic. You know, you get a lot of exposure to a lot of different things. And so, yeah. And I've, I've been able to work with education companies and with corporate non-education companies. And I'm connected to a lot of instructional designers that work at universities. I've done independent freelance and I now run an agency for instructional design. So it's been, it's been awesome. It's totally been awesome to just see it from a lot of different perspectives, the pros, the cons, the strengths, the, the different varieties of it. And to see teachers in all those categories. Mm. Yeah. And I think for us, like we, our client base is corporate and in there, you know, it's, it's not always like gray and reactive sort of stuff. Like there are skills based training and customer service, but a lot of it is around, you know, like communication or a lot of our initiatives at the moment are, um, how do you beat stress in the workplace? How do you, as a manager, open a conversation to talk about well-being? So there are really nice places that you can play within corporate or within companies. Um, and what I like, I think my personal connection, probably why that is our client base is that I like that that has such a big impact and then it, it shows results in terms of like them making more money and being able to serve their customers better and you can measure the improvement quite well, which is quite cool. But yeah, don't get turned off that it's going to be boring is my advice from working specifically within that industry. And one of the other things I just wanted to add, and this you'll be able to share as well, you mentioned like an LMS and I quite often see the LMS as the uh, it's it's shoved onto one of those dot points on the um, <laughs> on the job advertisements. Definitely do not get turned off by that. It's literally like it's a system that you can learn and they will have a manual and you can just Google it. You do not need to know if they mention one specifically, just Google and find out like a bit of the language and what they're about but you will have used some sort of admin system in the past, whether it's like an enrollment system in the classroom or the marking and grading system, just picture it like that, but for your new organization. So don't get scared. Don't, don't not apply for jobs just because it says you need experience doing that. Absolutely. I completely agree. Teachers are oftentimes familiar with power school or canvas in structure different things like that but uh, yeah they shouldn't disqual i always say don't be the one that disqualifies you from this opportunity if if a job application well first off a lot of job descriptions they're written really poorly mm -hmm. and so if it's hard if it feels like it's hard to understand them well it probably is <laughs> i read some of them sometimes and i'm like what, what are they getting at with this anyway but if it's saying, you know, you need to be able to do X, Y, and Z. And if a teacher's like, I can do A, B, C, D, you know, all of these things, but I can't do Y. So maybe I shouldn't apply for this. Like, 
no way. You know, it's, yeah, an LMS or so many things. You, you're so, so capable. Don't be the one to disqualify yourself from yeah. opportunity. And I think the big thing that I always harp on about is the transferable skills that you have to help you. So what I did was I've actually picked out some of the skills that are in a job description, right, for an instructional designer that are very much our language. And I think that's the thing is making the link between the instructional design language and the teaching language. And you can get there through Google, but you need to know what to search. So I thought, let's play like a little activity where I've yes. got like basically what they say in job descriptions. And I'd love you to go, this is the transferable skill that you have as a teacher. Down. This is great. I feel like it's not like it's family feud, but I'm like, welcome to a game show. Let's do this. Yeah. Yes. Like, can we find this? Can we gamify this somehow? Just kidding. What would you? Okay, I'll um, I'll make sound effects for your reward <laughs> based on how you go. Awesome. Cool. Okay. Transferable skill number one. Okay. The criteria is to design and develop training with proven methodology. Excellent. Um, I would just say instructional methods, like a lot of teachers, I'm, I'm in the US and teachers have to pass these exams to certify to be a teacher. If you've ever taken one of those and passed any of those, you already know a lot of the methods and things, a lot of the, yeah, everything that you just referred to theory and methods. So yeah. are there more that we can add to our toolkit, so to speak, for sure? We can always keep learning, but you already know a lot as a teacher. Yeah, that's cool. What would some of them be? I don't know what they are. Oh, as far as <laughs> methods and instructions, uh, off the top of my head, I'm going back to like Bloom's Taxonomy, Vygotsky, uh, just everything that I'm, I'm so grateful I don't have to do those exams. For. <laughs> but, but yeah, you know, it's especially interesting because Sometimes teachers that taught the primary grades or elementary grades, sometimes they feel like, oh, you know, I'm just like a primary grade teacher, but really secondary ed, when they're studying science and studying math and studying these topics, elementary and primary education teachers are, are studying more of different theorists and different methods. So in some ways, the elementary primary grade level teachers have, I don't, I don't want to say an advantage, but maybe a little bit more exposure to some of those things. So if anything, they should maybe feel a little bit more confident. Oh, that's quite cool. I like it. Debunked people. Um, <laughs> I guess one of the things that I would say is you mentioned one of them blooms taxonomy. So I would just say, Google these three things. These are the three that I've just picked, but I think they continuously come up. And if you've got this lingo down, you'll be able to write your resume quite well and perform in interviews as well. And you'll be able to identify your own transferable skills. So there's Bloom's taxonomy, that's your learning objectives, adult learning principles, because obviously you've got a different audience group now, and ADDIE, which is A-D-D-I-E. So just have a look at that. It's a process of instructional design to get from start to finish. So thank you. Nice work, Ali. Um, and I guess as well, like breaking it down, design and develop training with proven methodology. You got a goal and you need to get a result. How do you get there? You know, so you have a curriculum that you need to teach and you need to get it to kids. What do you do in the classroom to make that happen when you're planning, you're doing your lesson plans and all of that sort of stuff? Yeah. 
and and with teachers mm. you know re- regardless of the country or wherever anyone is you know your your country or your your district your, your area where you live in they give you standards and objectives but they don't always say here's how you have to teach it yes. And so like in some areas they do, right? But the teacher comes up with that strategy, that game plan, that lesson plan. You know, they make scope and sequence for a year or a curriculum plan. They're already doing all of these things. There's just different words, you yeah. know? We hear curriculum development maybe in a corporate setting. And then for teachers, yeah, they know it as like curriculum development or, or whatnot. But they also, if, if you think of a year scope and sequence and, and lesson planning, anyway, there's... I have a whole kind of glossary of oh, nice. a teacher translation tool of here's how we say it in the business world that's and so here's what good. it was in your classroom. And so anyway, that's so good. So good. Um, okay. Next one, conduct a training needs analysis. Conduct what does that training. look like for teachers? Conducting a training needs analysis is going to be pre-assessment. You know, you are identifying what are the needs, what needs to be addressed. Um, yeah. And then, and then you develop your game plan or your lesson plan and um, everything that you're going to do based off of, based off of what those needs are. Nice. Cool. Ding. <laughs> um, another thing that they quite often have in there in the job descriptions is working with subject matter experts or stakeholders to understand learning objectives. What does that look like in teacher land? Excellent. Working with subject matter experts. So oftentimes in teaching, we don't have like a person that's right there with us and they are the subject matter expert in a corporate world. But in a teacher setting, I remember when I taught sixth grade And one of the topics I taught, because it was an elementary level, so we taught all the topics, but I had to teach microorganisms, euglena, protozoa, and maybe I'm a crazy person, but I had never heard of some of the science things that I had to teach. How the kids pronounce that? I couldn't even pronounce it. Right? (laughs) Let alone, let alone all the objectives that went with it. Like, how does this thing eat? How does this, like, what size is it compared to these other microorganisms? So the same thing happens in instructional design. You're put on a project and you have no idea what the project's about, right? Mm-hmm. A teacher reached out to me like two days ago and she's like, okay, so if I want to do instructional design, how do I design stuff that's on topics I have no idea about? And then she said, for example, submarines. Mm-hmm. Like I wouldn't have no idea. Well, as a teacher, sometimes we're asked to teach stuff and we don't know the topic, but our subject matter expert is often our books, like our materials, our textbooks, or whatever our school organization or district has paid for. And we learn from those resources or we do personal research on a topic. And so, you know, a teacher sometimes is looked at as this like all knowing, you know, I can ask the teacher whatever and they know everything, but we had to learn it. And it's, you know, it's the same. We So subject matter expert in the corporate world is usually a person, but sometimes the companies will say, here are these, here are these like written resources that you can refer to also. As a teacher, it's oftentimes, here's your textbook, or here are these conferences you attended to learn about this topic more, or online resources, whatever teaches you the topic. I love it. That's really cool. I feel like, (laughs) 
I'm not a teacher, but I feel like I'm in the teacher seat right now. I'm like, oh my God, it's making so much sense. So I hope people Good. are getting that. Um, another thing it's, I think this is more jargon. I'm breaking through the jargon, but that's the whole point of this. This is the last one I have is um, creating learner quick reference guides. Excellent. Yeah. A quick reference guide or job aid, like, mm -hmm. oh my goodness. Teachers do this all the time. Just think of a worksheet. Yes. A worksheet, a reference, a reference material for your students, or a bulletin board. If you are making like a bulletin board on your wall so that your students can just reference information, boom, you've done this. You've done it for years. And so, yeah, it's anything where someone can just glance or refer to quickly and, and they get the information they need. Sometimes in instructional design, it's clickable. And sometimes teachers hear that and they're like, oh, technology, I'm scared. And it's like, well, oftentimes you're not the one that has to make it clickable. You know, if teachers are intimidated by the tech, there are plenty of instructional design jobs and opportunities where they're doing more of the earlier parts of Addy that you referred to earlier. They're, they're working with the objectives. They're working with learning strategy, kind of like lesson plans. And they don't have to do all the clickety click. So, but yeah. I digress into other topics. No, that's, yeah, we're there's some of the things that I wanted to get into anyway. Do you have any other, um, before we move on from the, this little uh, challenge that we have, I mean, the crowd's going wild in the background, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> um, any other jargon terms or that that you could help debunk or make digestible for teachers? Yeah, there's so many things when, you know, in a job description, if you see implement, mm. um, if it's a live training, that's, that's just teaching, right? And teachers are, are very familiar with that. If, if they see training, you can interpret that as instruction and teaching. There are so many areas of overlap yeah. between, between teaching and instructional design. It's just terminology differences. And sure, there's more skills you know, to add to your tool belt and, and things that you can learn. But teachers have, teachers, can and should have a lot of confidence in transitioning from from one into the other and it's a great next step a great way to advance and progress on your career path so yeah love great. it that's really cool mm -hmm. well check out the glossary people sounds really good um i think you bring up a good point around the what is it more so the delivery in terms of like instructional designer and then sometimes it's purely just instructional design and then sometimes it's an instructional designer with a flair for face-to-face -face, flair for um e-learning or webinars so i think have a look at that you can pick up on the language it doesn't mean that all roles are like that but it means sometimes what it means is they just need well this is i guess clues hey like this is going to be a solo gig because it doesn't sound like I'm going to be a part of a team and I'm doing everything from start to finish. Um, or sometimes if it's like purely instructional design, you can assume then that there's someone picking up what you create and then they're going to make it into whether it's like PowerPoints or e-learning or facilitator guides or a job aid. So you don't necessarily need the, the skills to be able to make that interactive or clickable, as you said as well. I think that's, yeah, be aware of that because you got to know your own working style. Hey, like I need, I'm social, and especially being with a teacher as a, like in a classroom, 
it's just chaos and blah, blah, blah. so maybe you need that energy and you vibe off that but then I know I'm a solo worker like I like to just be in my zone get stuff done you know and I'm quite comfortable with that but not everyone is so recognizing how you like to work and what clues might be in that job description as well yeah I completely agree and if you know anything about the company or if you have any connections that work at the company you can ask a little you know you can get insight into that in advance and so I when I was no longer a classroom teacher and had done a tech training and, and other things like that the first setting that I worked in was an agency and so I was in person surrounded by coworkers, orchestrating projects largely and um, yeah. but I loved the interaction with people but I didn't take work home with me yeah. you know and that and that was really nice and then um, later worked at a different company. And again, I was kind of overseeing the projects and doing the coordination work as an instructional designer between the things like different handoffs to different people. But, but yeah, exactly what you're saying. If, if it's a smaller company, sometimes an instructional designer will kind of be a one man band and they're doing all the planning and the creating. But my experience has been that the bigger the company or the bigger, the instructional design team, yeah, the more that you hand off responsibilities so you can specialize in different parts of what you really like. So yeah, true. yeah. How long ago did you transition from teacher to uh, instructional designer? Um, my last year of teaching was about seven or eight. It was 2013 or 2014. I'm trying to remember off the top of my head, but yeah, it's been, it's been a good handful of years, seven yeah. or eight years. Yeah. So, okay. Think back now to your seven year younger self. Uh -huh. Ali. Um, <laughs> what was going through your head then and what would you say to yourself if you're like coaching your younger self through that transition now you know this is exactly why I started teachertransition.com is because and I know I mentioned this briefly before we hopped on hopped on the call but I I've always wanted to be able to go back and help the me seven years ago because it was, it was one of like the hard, I mean, it might sound weird or it might sound too deep or too serious, but it was one of the hardest times of my life. I had planned on being a teacher. Both of my parents were, are, were educators and, and I, my heart was so in it. And I had great students. I was in really fortunate circumstances, great students, great administrators, and I, and I was doing a really good job as a teacher, like the data showed it and good feedback from students and parents and whatnot. But then I started feeling stagnant and I wasn't like, I wasn't my happy self that I had been. And I could tell, <laughs> and I'd taken like some really great research back surveys about myself to figure out like, why, why am I feeling like this? And it was very clear that of the different areas of personal well-being, my yep. career well-being was the area that was struggling. I wasn't progressing. I felt like it was Groundhog's Day every day at work. I'd already said the same things a thousand times. I'd been asked like, can, can so-and-so go to the bathroom? Or what about this question about writing or reading or science or whatever? And I was no longer growing and progressing at the trajectory that I had been my first handful of years of teaching. And so I just felt stagnant. So to answer your question of where was I then, 
man, I was wanting to progress. I was wanting to grow. I, I knew I was doing really effective things in my classroom and I was wanting to share those beyond the walls of my classroom. So I started presenting at educational conferences and those things were going really well. I was using a lot of ed tech and that was going really well. And some of the companies I was starting to collaborate with and opportunities developed there. And so, yeah, as far as where I was, then I just, I was so ready for more. Mm -hmm. And, you know, now that it's a handful of years later, I, I don't, I currently don't want to be in like a corporate setting at a workplace. And now I get to work from home and it matches where I am right now in life. And it's just nice that as you keep growing and progressing, learning new skills, adding to like your toolkit of what you personally can do, that you can be more flexible. You know, I don't feel like the only job I can do is at a school building on their schedule, you know, with like, and on all of their terms. Yeah. I've, I've, put a lot of experience behind me and, and, um, you know, and, and I, there is, I'm very happy where I am now, but I also love seeing, I can take it different directions for my future, but that wouldn't have happened if I would have just, I don't want to say put up with where I was or what was going on, but like it, it takes guts to follow your gut. And when you innovate yourself, if you're going from something that's very traditional and predictable, mm -hmm. I remember thinking my coworkers might think I'm crazy that I'm doing something totally different. I can't talk with the people in the faculty room about where I'm heading toward. So it, it was a, it was a lonely and it was a hard, mm -hmm. it was a hard process, but I'm, oh man, I'm, I'm like, not just, not just so much happier now or more fulfilled, but it just feels good to follow follow your right personal path. Yeah. That is honestly like what was definitely coming through through that story. Like what you were sharing is like, trust yourself a hundred percent. And I guess it's kind of like, there's no shame in changing careers either. It's okay to do that. Like we don't have to, just cause you studied something for a few years doesn't mean you have to stay in it for life. It's listening to what you've just said, your own path. And I guess, if you think about that decision back in the day when you finished school and you're like, I'm, what am I going to study? You know, what am I going to come? That was a big deal back then, but you did it. And then you went down this path and then it was about getting the job. So you've had these kind of challenging milestones already that you've overcome and things have worked out and they've been really good and you've just adapted and shifted. And this is just another one of those. Yeah. And to the point of what you said, like, there's no shame in it. A lot of teachers do feel teacher shame because some of them, you know, they associate like a job as a teacher is a very people person job. And like, Oh, I, I love my students. I'm like, you know, a lot of things like that. And they feel like, Oh, if I'm giving up on teaching, I'm like, am, am I giving up on society? <laughs> and so there's definitely mindset things of, of, you're contributing in the world and you're needed in the world, not just in a classroom mm. and you're still helping people and members of society in yeah. a different role and in a different way. So, so to not feel that kind of shame, but if you're following what feels right, then there, it, it will make sense later on in the future. So yeah. just cheering me on. That's, that's feeling that. It's almost like you define your impact on the world, not your role title. Well said. 
Really well said. Yeah. Okay. The resume. Do you have tips? So we've, we've kind of looked at the language that are in job descriptions. What are your tips for getting your resume together? I know like, with, well, I don't apply for jobs anymore, but um, when I was doing that, I went hardcore. Like it would take me three days to prepare because I re like, but I'd only do it for jobs that I really, really wanted. Um, and I was getting like an interview for them because I'd done the soul searching. This is for me looking at the language, putting so much effort into like, they use that language. What does it look like? What experience do I have already? That's my transferable skills. And my resume is like mini paragraphs for each of their things basically in response. Um, and I also would be Googling behavioral questions and answers for those key words and having a look at examples online and then going, ah, that's how they're saying it. I know a story or something that I've done in the past. So yeah, I can do that. So when they asked me in the interview, so I was making connections like that. What are your tips though for teachers transitioning in terms of building and presenting their resume? Excellent. For a lot of teachers, making a resume is kind of, I don't want to say a new thing because they probably had it when they applied, but but just as a lot of teachers don't have a LinkedIn profile, a lot of them don't have, you know, current resumes. Progressing in a school district is oftentimes just, it's just a year to year thing. So, so in, in the course that we have, we have a resume template mm -hmm. and teachers can just download it and it's easy to customize based on the job descriptions. And so what I recommend is you look at the job description and then we have activities that we kind of walk people through, but, you know, highlight the verbs, circle like specific nouns that they're looking for. Mm -hmm. Most resumes, unless if you are handing it to someone in person, if you're applying online, it's going to go to through ATS. And a lot of them are just going to get disregarded in the first place, unless if you're using certain terminology and things like that. So yeah, I, I would just have that job description kind of like you're talking about and and work the two together, put them side by side. And for a lot of teachers, it's hard to extrapolate and just take out teacher lingo, um, but, but doing so lets them know that you're serious about the future with work opportunities, not just that you're looking for more teacher opportunities by having lots of teacher lingo in there, so yeah. I think a lot of people say, yeah, oh, are there many teachers in instructional design? But it's so surprising how many people started their careers as teachers. So yeah, it's definitely a, a way, a, a previous path, I guess. Um, in terms of the resume, what, what are the essential things? So that ATS thing, I'm going to assume is some program that your paper or your electronic thing goes through and it goes, it scores. A certain amount of points and then it's like oh this one progressed to the next stage is that right yeah so like if you're applying um online for a job yeah a lot a lot of companies let's say it's a big company yeah. that your resume doesn't get seen by a person at least not initially it goes through a computer system and that computer system you know let's say an instructional design positions for pearson education yeah. okay well, if it's, it's not like 
the hundreds or thousands of applicants for the positions. It's not, you know, there isn't someone named Joe or Jane that's sitting there going through every resume. Yeah. It's done with technology first. And so that computer system is the gateway. Yeah. And if thing, a lot of things don't get by the gate because they're not formatted correct, correctly or because they just don't have like, it's not that the teacher doesn't have what it takes or the applicant. It's that their document doesn't have the words that are needed. Mm -hmm. So it's really important okay. in order for it to get by that gateway to get seen by actual people. And yeah. Pearson, for example, they hire, they hire teachers straight out of the classroom with no formal instructional design experience. It's not all of the instructional designers that they hire every year, yeah. but it's some of them. There's value in, in them having classroom teachers. And so anyway, but yeah, there's different things that set a teacher up for success in applying for those positions. So Yeah, well, I guess those keywords, make sure they're in there. Don't let yourself down at that first point. One of the things that I always say to people is, um, do you know the STAR method? For It's like situation, task, action, result. So yes. I do that in, well, I did. In my resume, I would have that. So this is the, the keyword you're looking for. This is the situation that I have done, the task, the action and result I got that demonstrates I can do that. And I would do that for each of those keywords and basically tell a story in my resume. It is one page, but I'm able to, I guess, do it concisely. There's an app called the Hemingway app as well. Sorry, it's just a website where you can copy and paste your paragraphs in and it will tell you if there's too much like jargon or too many adjectives, passive voice, and it helps you say things as concisely as possible when you're trying to squash stuff in. It's like a readability thing, but it helps you when you're trying to like, if your resume has to be two pages or less, get be able to demonstrate your skills as much as possible and communicate that by not having a whole essay behind you as well. That's great. I just wrote that down. Thank you. Awesome. No worries, mate. Um, in terms of interview questions, um, what would you, do you know what like most common kind of things or a hurdle or a challenge that a teacher might have in terms of an interview question when they get to that phase? Yes. And we do have like a top 10 questions resource. Yeah. For interviews. But I would say, can I just interrupt you and say that your resources sound fantastic? Like, uh, everything that's encouraging. Is like, what would be like, I'd really want to know. Cause I put myself, I was like, if I was a teacher, what would I want to know from Ali in prep for this? And you're just like, I've already got it, you know, just fill it out for your context. So I, that's awesome. That's super helpful. To, like, that's encouraging <laughs> to hear. Thank you. I think, um, I, I know that anytime our teachers in our course mention like, Hey, this would be helpful or that would be helpful. I, if yeah. I don't already have it, it just makes me want to get right on top of it. You know what yeah. I mean? Yeah. It just really helps. So, um, yes. And in, and in our course, we have a recorded interview with Ooh. a former teacher who then worked at some education companies yeah. and she has interviewed hundreds of teachers and she answers the same question that you asked of where, you know, where, where's the biggest like caution area in an interview yeah. or like what would be helpful for teachers to know she goes into a lot of depth with it but I thought it was fascinating to hear yeah. that out of hundreds of people that she's interviewed hundreds of 
teachers who are trying to get different jobs that she's interviewed, only one has, has answered this question really, really well, like, like with flying colors. And it's the question of like, why are you looking for a different job? And so for a lot of teachers that are looking for different jobs, there can be a lot of, um, angst if people have kind of overstayed their welcome maybe they've been in the classroom a little bit too long then you know everyone has hard experiences it doesn't mean that like the place for that therapy session is your interview with your next potential boss because if so they probably won't be your next boss (laughs) so um but really really the way to angle that you know for everyone the answer would be different but for me back then it would have been you know, something along the lines of seeking further growth, um, or, or I really know that my strengths and my gifts and my talents and my interests are very aligned with helping people learn and creating effective resources. Like I can see in the classroom that I come alive when I do X, Y, and Z. And because of that, I'm intentionally navigating my career path to do X, Y, and Z, which is part of this job position. And if you want to see like some amazing skills in this area, you should totally hire me. <laughs> you I know what I mean? That. I love yeah. that. It is essentially, that's what you're doing is you're specializing. I've been a generalist. I love this specific part about my role and I want to go all in on that. That's how I got to where I am actually. HR, organizational development. And then I was like, but I really love the learning side of it. So instead of getting to into like the employer relations and all that, which I was like, Ooh, I don't like that. It's so negative. No offense to anyone that does that, but um, it's not me. And that's why you got to understand your strengths, like you're saying, and then you niche in on it and you specialize in it. And you're like, I want to go all in because I know when I'm in the zone, I'm creating the best stuff and I have an impact. And then, yeah, like, totally. And they're like, Oh, I see. It's not because they had issues with their administrator mm-hmm. because what that translates into for the interviewee is like, oh, they might have issues with their direct report or their project yeah. manager or whatever. You know, it's, you know, leave, even though there might be some baggage or some hard things in the past, yeah. the, the interview isn't the place for, for that combo. Yeah. So anyway. I love it. Teachers are welcome to talk with me about that. That's okay. We can talk about that in our Q&A. <laughs> coaching sessions but yeah yeah yeah, I was just gonna say therapy sessions with Ali (laughs) but bring it Um, I guess to sum up the interview stuff for in terms of the things that I've learned is yeah the star methodology and being able to articulate and your transferable skills through that because sometimes if they are a weighted thing they're looking to give you marks based on the results that you got by doing whatever that is so google star and then also google behavioral questions and answers for instructional design roles because they tell you the common questions that are asked and they give you kind of like exemplar um responses they're not great but they'll give you a taste of what they're looking for And I guess the things that I always say to practice are, you know, problem solving, challenging situation. um, When have you innovated? Communication is another one. And I always say the motivation one, which I think you've just handled that really well. I think we should end this on a, like, 
inspirational, go get it thing transition. Now I've just ruined the moment, but uh, <laughs> it's good. I, I was like, we should have some like background music, like something epic, like growing in the background right here for yeah. ending it. For those that are wanting to transition, what kick up the bum message do you have for them to take the leap? I would say like your best guide is your gut. And I, I would also say your best guide is knowing your strengths and your interests. Mm -hmm. And so if what a teacher loves is creating learning materials, and if it's strategizing, how can people learn effectively? Like if you love, you know, any of these things, there are different roles in instructional design that really capitalize on those things the the instructional design world is a better place because teachers get into it and so it it will always help a teacher to learn instructional design even if a teacher decides like i actually want to stay in the classroom you'll be a better teacher because of the instructional design that you've learned yeah. and you'll probably be a, a better teacher with more confidence in what you're doing because you'll see in other ways like dang, I'm, I'm good at what I do. And, and now I've also learned more skills to be able to do this more effectively. So it's, it's always a good, good decision to, to learn more, to expand your skills. And I will also say with the, you know, all the current crazy things that are going on in, in the world right now, um, we see so much more education going online, mm. including traditional classroom teachers. Mm. Right. And so Right now, there's a lot of kind of crisis education going on where people are teaching, doing like a class lecture, but over Zoom or something like that. Um, but if a teacher knew how to build a course online, mm -hmm. they could kind of set it and forget it a little bit. Like they could create it once, have it there. All their students could access it anytime. Mm -hmm. if, if their district were to see that from a teacher, the district would know who to go to to help them create a better strategy for their whole learning organization. Wow. And so anyway, it just really creates more growth opportunities for a teacher's future. There's no reason not to be learning instructional design. That's really cool. Ali, you're a legend. Teachertransition.com. <laughs> I know that this is going to have such a positive impact on the people that watch this. There's just so many tangible, practical takeaways. So thank you so much for sharing your knowledge and your experience with people. I know it's going to change lives. It will. Thanks for having me on. I hope it's, hope it's oh, helpful for everybody. Yeah, there's no doubt. Absolutely no doubt. It's fucking so valuable. This has been Learning with Bell Vista Studios. Thank you for watching and have an awesome day. <laughs>